On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. And welcome to About Books. Now, in a few minutes, we'll chat with the former CEO of Macmillan Publishing, who spent 40 years in the industry and came out with stories to tell. But first, here's some of the latest news from the publishing world. Well, the end of 2023 saw a shakeup in the world of independent book publishing. Skyhorse is buying the Regnery imprint. Regnery is known for its conservative voices, including Dennis Prager, Ann Coulter, Republican Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. It goes all the way back generations to William F. Buckley. David Evans, the chief operating officer of Salem, which is selling Regnery, said in a statement that the company is, quote, thrilled to pass the torch of the oldest and most respected conservative publishing company in America, to Skyhorse Publishing. In writing about the merger, Michael Schaub of Kirkus Reviews called Skyhorse, quote, one of the nation's most controversial publishers. He added that Skyhorse has a reputation for picking up books that other publishers either dropped or passed on, including books by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Woody Allen, Garrison Keillor, Norman Mailer, and others. And in other news, just in time for the beginning of the presidential primary season, NBC News's Matt Dixon will release his new book, which is a look at the political and personal relationship between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump. Mr. Dixon, who spent some time in Florida as the bureau chief for Politico, has titled his debut book, Swamp Monsters, Trump vs. DeSantis. The publication date, January 9th. Publishers Weekly describes the book as a, quote, rollicking study of cutthroat Republican politics. And beginning now on About Books, an interview with John Sargent. Mr. Sargent is the former CEO of Macmillan Publishers and the author of this new book, Turning Pages, The Adventures and Misadventures of a Publisher. Book TV's John McArdle sat down with him recently to talk about his memoir about four decades in the publishing industry. And joining us now in About Books, it's John Sargent. He worked at six different publishing companies over a 40-year career, and he compiled the best stories from that career in his book, Turning Pages, The Adventures and Misadventures of a Publisher. Mr. Sargent, one of those stories is about what you call the best book never published. What was A Cold Eye for the Horseman? Uh, it was uh, we had we had bought uh, the rights at St. Martin's Press before I arrived there. We had bought the rights to a sequel of Burgon with the Wind. And, you know, it was a struggle. We found someone to write it. It didn't work. And then uh, out of the blue, Pat Conroy, who was this, you know, fantastic Southern writer, uh, wrote me this letter at, that, you know, he wanted to write the sequel to Gone with the Wind. And this is a guy who's written, you know, uh, the great Santini, various, uh, very uh, powerful books that turned into big movies. And and he's an extraordinary writer. 
And Gone with the Wind was sort of the center point of his entire growing up. You know, his mom read it to him. It was his mother's favorite book. And he wrote me this three-page letter that was just, you know, utterly fantastic. And his idea was to retell the story of Gone with the Wind from in the first person, from Rhett Butler's point of view. And the deal fell apart with the estate, uh, Margaret Mitchell estate. The book never got written. But I, I tell you, it's one of the few times I actually had the hair stand up on the back of my neck when I was reading his extraordinarily eloquent and uh, impassioned uh, description of what he was going to write. And where were you working at the time? And uh, when about was, was it, that? I, would, it, I had just started at St. Martin's Press, so that would have been, oh, 28 years ago. And before that, uh, you were working on children's books. Uh, most parents familiar with the book, probably Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. You describe it as, <laughs> as one of the books you're proudest of in your long publishing career. Why? So uh, one, it was uh, the, the way I sort of thought of that was the books I'm proudest of are books that I had something to do with their success personally. Uh, and they have to be books that reach a large, large audience and books that were financially successful. And they have to be somehow a magical book, you know, and they have to move people. And, and that book, when I when I talk to people today, if I interview a room, I do the math that the kids are or the people in the room are in their 20s. I ask if they learned uh, their ABCs uh, from Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, and almost everybody raises their hand. Um, so uh, it was uh, it was a remarkable book from when we first saw it, when it first came in. Uh, we knew it was remarkable, and we couldn't get people. It was different from anything that had ever been done before, and we couldn't get people as excited about it as we were. And at the end of the day, the marketing director and I agreed that we would just grow beards and we wouldn't shave them until Barnes and Noble took the book. And uh, it ended up, they took the book. They still have it today. If you go in, uh, it, it's been in there ever since. Um, and, and uh, I don't know. I just, it, uh, it makes me really uh, proud that I had something, I had something to do with that great success. You know, personally, I put a lot of work and effort into it. 40 years in the publishing industry, uh, and it's also in your blood, as uh, you talk about in your family tradition. Explain. Oh, I, I uh, in my blood, it, it, it's, I have a, I have a long family history of, of publishers. So my great-grandfather uh, started uh, a publishing company, uh, used his own name, uh, Doubleday, and uh it became the largest publisher in America before he died. He started it when he was in his early 30s. Uh, and his son, my grandfather, was a great publisher. And my father, on the other side of my family, my father uh, ran one of the largest publishers in America when for his career. So it's uh, I'm the fourth generation. So I don't know. I, in the blood, it never seemed to be in my blood. You know, I didn't I didn't grow up in, in New York in publishing circles. So. I, I, it never felt in my blood, you know, but but uh, certainly I have a strong collection, uh, connection to it, opened a lot of do doors for me, and, and I've always been a, an incredible book lover. Did you always know you were going to go into publishing, though? No, no, hell no. I was going to be a marine biologist. I would, I would you know, through through sort of the first half of, until <laughs> until I 
until I failed out of organic chemistry, I, uh, I was, I was determined to be a marine biologist. Uh, and then, you know, it just, it just sort of, I, I fell into it, you know, it, it was something I explored because of the family connection. Once I started, I never wanted to leave. Where'd you get your start? I was a traveling salesman uh, in Seattle, Washington, because I couldn't get a job. Uh, I graduated from college at the end of the recession and couldn't get jobs. And finally went to a publishing course and it was the first job that was offered me. So it was, you know, I needed a job and I was willing to go anywhere in the United States to do it. And uh, turned out I got an interview and I got a job offered to be a, a traveling college textbook sale, salesman in Seattle, Washington. And it's a funny thing, you know, nobody dreams of being a college textbook salesman. They really don't. And uh, it's, it's a great job. And I, I had a ton of fun at it, but that's how I started. And how'd you get from there to working on a children's book with the Duchess of York? Oh, uh, that I, I was, I'd like to say I was, I was good at work early on, but I worked really hard uh, and I was, I had a lot of luck and I had some good people who, who, you know, looked after me as far as they liked the work I did and they tried to promote me. So I, I, uh, I went to a public, I went to, worked it for my family company for four years. That didn't work out. Uh, so I left and I went to Simon at the end of the day, I went to McMillan, the old McMillan, and then I went to Simon and Schuster. Uh, and you know, at age 29, I was, uh, a division president and, you know, the, the head of Simon and Schuster, Dick Snyder did a, did a deal, uh, with the, with the Duchess of York at a dinner and, uh, and sort of dump, dumped it in my lap and said, here, you know, make it happen. It has to be a hundred percent confidential. Um, uh, and, uh, the Duchess, you know, wanted to do these kids' books featuring a little helicopter, Budgie the little helicopter. And there it was. We were it was a small division of people and we were doing sort of, you know, traditional children's books. And uh here was this big celebrity children's book, and it turned into quite a thing. It uh she ended up keeping some of the royalty money. That got in the press. Uh the palace became uh, very it was at the height of her when she was most infamous, you know, it was when the press had really turned against her. And, you know, I, I had to go over to Buckingham Palace and deal with the press secretary of the Queen and, and figure out how to get her into the United States to do this book tour when they didn't want to. And, and uh, the, books were, the books were successful, and she was a ton of fun. I really, I really liked, liked her. And you got to see how tough it is for the, the a young person coming into the royal family by marriage is really difficult. The Robin Jambrin, who's press secretary of the Queen, took me aside and he said, John, you know, the, what you have got to consider is the royal family is like a Fortune 500 company, but all the top executives are related and many of them are in-laws. Uh, and that's what it was like. It was really interesting. And that was at a time when there weren't a lot of big celebrity children's books happening. That's right. How did it how was, did you deal with that? I I just you know I tried to we tried to publish it like a a, a sort of a combination of a celebrity book and a children's book. Um, it's and we should have made it up as we went along, and and she was the royal family at that point. Princess Diana was in the spotlight. Uh, Sarah Ferguson was uh, considered, you know, I don't know, the bad princess, as it were. Uh, 
Uh, and they, you know, they're on the cover of people magazine, you know, God, every other week. And, and so we tried to, you know, we had a press conference when we announced the book at, at, at Paramount, which is the parent company. Uh, and you know, there were 60 reporters in the room. Uh, and you know, that, that doesn't happen with books. Um, so it was, it was, um, it was interesting. It was, it was taxing, uh, but we made it up as we went along, and at the end, we did a pretty good job. I think. I what, think she would say we did a good job. I stayed friends with her for, for quite a while, and uh, she would say we did a good job for her. What makes a, a children's book successful? How did you know at first sight that Chicka Chicka Boom Boom was going to be a success, and and uh, that Budgie the Helicopter would sell? Oh, uh, it's impossible to tell. And I made I made several really bad uh, really bad calls. Rainbow fish I passed on. You know, it, it's hard to tell. Chicka Chicka Boom Boom was uh, the best children's books work on two levels. They work for the parent or the reader as well as for the child. And if you read Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, it reads like a song and it's inventive. And you know. I had a I had a kid at the time, and I used to read it to my daughter all the time. And uh, it's just a fantastic sort of experience. It's fun reading the book is really fun, and and if you can get the magic of uh, a, a purpose of the book, which is you know teaching the ABCs, and make it really fun and and different and magical. And we just felt you feel it. It's instinctual. There's no you can't learn it. It can't be taught. You you have to. You open up and you feel it. And then as you have that experience over and over again, you, you become better at it. And how did you go from children's books to the CEO of Macmillan two decades at, Mac, at Macmillan? Uh, I, I first went, I went to Dorland Kindersley, which is of, you know, bright white books with uh, four color illustrations, uh, family reference books. And and I'd always wanted to be an adult sort of, you know, fiction, nonfiction, adult trade book publisher. And the opportunity came up. Uh, you know, I had done a good job. DK had grown from, I don't know, uh, $14 million to almost $100 million in three years. So I had done a, I had done a good job. And I, I, uh, I got called by the head of St. Martin's Press. He was retiring. And we had these three lunches at his desk. He had a tuna fish sandwich and I had a chicken sandwich. He never mentioned a job. We just talked. And he called me a fourth time and I said, what, are, are we just like having sandwiches and talking? And he finally said, well, actually I have a job offer for you. And uh, he offered me the job and, and I stayed for, you know, 24 years. Take me to one day of uh, those 24 years, January 8th, 2018, when you sent uh, the employees uh, of your company a a letter that included these words, quote, we will not allow any president to achieve by intimidation what our Constitution precludes him or her from achieving in court. As citizens, we must demand that President Trump understand and abide by the First Amendment of our Constitution. Yeah, it it was stunning. We had we had uh, <laughs> that was a that was a that was an amazing time. We had uh, done a deal with Michael Wolf. Uh, he had gotten access into the for the first hundred days of the Trump administration, and he got to sit in the West Wing, and he would go in uh, and 
people would talk to him. Remember, it was chaotic and they had all those different factions. And they all talked to Michael. And we ended up, it was to be a first 100 days book. It ended up being the first 200 days. It came out and it leaked in the press. And that president, the White House released a statement. And the president uh, sent us a legal letter demanding that we cease the publication of the book. And that is the, it's called prior restraint. It is the single, according to uh, Supreme Court law, it is the single worst uh, violation of the First Amendment you can do. If you are a government figure and the press has written something negative about you, you cannot try to stop it before it is published. A and B, the president of the United States is perceived to have the largest bully pulpit in the world. And in particular, the president can't do that. He has to take whatever grief the press gives him. Uh, so a big deal. Uh, we we moved the publication forward. Uh, I wrote that letter and it was released. His He released his legal letter to us saying cease and desist immediately. I released that letter back and, and uh, we released the book early and the, the White House protested. And I, w when it first happened, I thought, you know, boy, we're going to sell a ton of books. I, you know, Yahoo, the president has made this a national issue. Uh, and then I started to think about it. And, and, you know, it's the first thing that happens when authoritarian governments come into power is they stop the press from talking about themselves in a negative way. Uh, and and so here you had that in in the United States of America. You had a president taking the first action that you would take if you were going to run an authoritarian government. Uh, and so you know we took it very seriously. I tried to I tried to teach the the staff and the people in our company and to make a statement um, you know across the country. That you know this was not okay and it's not a small thing it, it's completely unacceptable did you know at the time that the words in that letter were going to be quoted in most every major american newspaper around the country the next day yes i i wanted to write it in in a way i didn't think a, a press release was the right way to go i wanted i wanted to be able to write it uh in my voice with uh really uh trying to trying to frame what the issue was specifically and why it was so important so i wrote a letter to our employees uh and in for that particular reason uh to make sure that uh i could in in my voice convey how important this was Although, i didn't think it was a i didn't think a sort of corporate press release was the way to go in your voice, you ended the first draft, at least, of that letter a little bit differently, correct? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I thought I had this great line because uh, it was it it seemed to fit so well. And my my last line was, uh, uh, "Mr. President, go fish." And uh, I, I got done I got done with it, and uh, I proudly showed it to my wife. <laughs> And she said to me straight right away, she said, uh, this is a little juvenile, John, you better you better think, uh, think of a better response, a, a better way to close it than that. You did end up selling a lot of books, though, uh, after that incident. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they were selling, yeah, it was, 
I don't know, I, I think 14,000 an hour on Amazon at one point. Uh, it sold an extraordinarily number, extraordinary number of books very, very fast. To the point where you had to change the way books were printed, or at least uh, the, the paper industry, how it worked together. Oh yeah, we 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 uh, we we got the the we got the various manufacturers in the United States to work together. We got the paper manufacturers. Uh, you know, I I personally intervened with the the guys running the paper companies. Uh, we got a printer in Europe to print the export editions. Uh, we did the printing. Uh, we got we got a million books uh, printed in in you know a week. A lot of stories, which is, really hard, which is really, really hard to do. A lot of stories in this book, Turning Pages, The Adventures and Misadventures of a Publisher by John Sargent. One more I want you to get to is uh, how you ended up passing on going to a party at the Playboy Mansion with Salman Rushdie. Uh, yeah, I just I, I, I it's not a, a, a long story. I just passed. I, I, had, I was a great admirer of Salman when he went through what he went through, you know, the publication of satanic verses and, and the years of having to essentially live in hiding and, and how firm he was and how strong he was on first amendment rights. And, and it was, it was an inspiring time uh, for those of us who are real believers in the first amendment and inspiring. And we were doing a book with him and he, he came to ABA in, in Los Angeles and, and he came into the booth and asked me to go with him to, he said, come on, I got a car. Let's go to the, the Playboy Mansion tonight. And uh and I I thought it through and I I was I was a young young father and I, I hadn't gotten a lot of sleep and and I thought, oh my God, someone's gonna go there. I'm gonna get out of there at two thirty in the morning and I had this big long list of meetings the next day and I and I punted on it and it it's one of my regrets. I that would have been a, a unique experience, certainly. Again, a lot of stories in this book. Uh, a new book that's been published uh, is about uh, what you experienced firsthand over 40 years uh, about the publishing industry. Emory University professor Dan Sinekin is out with the book, Big Fiction, How Conglomeration Changed the Publishing Industry and American Literature. Have you read that book? No. I, I have. I, look, I've, I have been, I've been around long enough. I remember the days when everybody was saying color TV was going to ruin the uh ruin the publishing industry right there's a there's this belief that uh sort of the sky is always falling in the publishing industry and we go through these cycles and there's problems and and we're going through a cycle now where there's problems but uh people do love to read and and publishing is uh, more conglomerate than it was uh there are fewer publishers and they're larger publishers but at the same time you know, the self-publishing industry has exploded. All the barriers to entry for small publishers have come down. There's a tremendous amount of work being published uh, across the board. Um, and and I'm usually optimistic. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it'll be just fine. People will get to tell their stories in book form and people will read those stories in book form. So uh, I'm, I'm less pessimistic than, than a lot of people. Um, because I've seen time and time again, people say, you know, this is going to be, uh, this is going to make publishing go away or the death of publishing. It's been predicted uh, frequently. When was the, the biggest example of that over your 40 years, 40 year career that the sky was falling? Uh, the biggest example was the digital transformation when 
Uh, Amazon popularized the reading of books on devices. Uh, and the price point came out at $9.99 and everybody thought publishing as we know it is going to be over. You had the music industry to look at. There wasn't a music store left. You know, it, it, it went from being sort of one in every town to none. Uh, and people saw bookstores were going to go that way. And there was a lot of fear in the industry, tons of fear in the industry, uh, that the retail side of bookselling was going to was going to go away and it was all going to be on these devices. We weren't going to have books anymore. Today, there's a lot of fear in the industry about what AI will do, whether AI is going to yeah. be publishing books on its own. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, it'll depend on how the, the publishers today react to artificial intelligence and books, right? The, it, it will need to be, uh, copyright will need to be uh, applied to AI, to the writing of AI. So if you take Nora Roberts and you take everyone, you have a computer read all her books and you say, generate for me a book that is a Western uh, romance written by Nora Roberts and the computer generates that, Nora Roberts needs to be paid. It's her work that created that. That, that, that computer is using her work. So it's gonna have to, like when the digital transformation happened, there'll be another instance where publishers are going to have to get very proactive. There's gonna be lawsuits, there's gonna have to be, Congress can probably have to be involved. Uh, we'll have to find a way to make sure. I, for one, don't want to be reading my books read by machines. It, it's it in its nature. The machine will read all the books that have been written and imitate them, right? And write like them, like somebody's style. When you when you when you have a uh, one of these um, engines actually work on writing something, you say you ask them. You ask it to write you something in the style of. Well, that that's derivative, right? So I don't, I do not, I don't personally ever see uh, wanting to read books written by machines. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting. If you want to read about a career lived over 40 years in the publishing industry, John Sargent's book, Turning Pages, The Adventures and Misadventures of a Publisher, Thanks for talking about it on Book TV. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. And you're watching About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, this week on our Afterwards program, it's an interview with cultural critic and film historian Peter Biskind. His new book is about the changes in the television industry over the past 40 years. It's entitled Pandora's Box. Here's a preview. You know, the whole uh, model is changing and not for the good. I think it's a, the other thing is that, you know, because Netflix has not been as profitable, none of the streamers have been as profitable as, as people thought they were going to be. They're changing, they're changing the model. So they're, they're inaugurating um, advertising driven tiers, which are about half as expensive as ad free tiers. And I think once you let advertisers in, in the door, they're, they're going to try to impose the same uh, limitations on programming as they impo uh, imposed on the networks. Uh, so that seems to me a, a really, a, you know, a danger, a danger sign.
You think it's going to make the ad, having ads on streaming services is just inherently going to make people more these programmers a lot more cautious and yes, exactly, exactly. That's sobering. I mean, you know, and with networks, they just didn't want to be, you know, advertisers. Sort of, you know, from their point of view, you know, uh, justifiably didn't want to be adjacent to scenes uh, you know that we're going to turn people off and i think the same is true are going to be true of streaming why should it be any different and afterwards airs every sunday evening on book tv at 10 p.m eastern time well thanks for joining us for about books a program and podcast produced by c-span's book tv a reminder that book tv will continue to bring you publishing news and author programs This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts or on the C-SPAN Now app. And you can watch all Book TV programs online anytime at booktv.org.